Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives that we lead on our path to self-mastery. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Deborah, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Thank you. So great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for reaching out. I'm excited to get into uh, what seems like a bit of a crazy story that has a uh, has a little bit of twist, and you know, I won't get into that. I'll let you get into that. So, why don't you give us a little bit of context here? Uh, what do you do for a living, and what's one thing that most people don't know about you that's maybe kind of odd or bizarre? Okay, well, as as a what do I do every day is I'm a magic weaver and a grief guide which not everyone understands how you can be both of those things at the same time, work with magic and people's spiritual practice and also hold space for grief. But yes, I do both. And one thing that people usually don't know about me, because it doesn't come up in conversation a lot, when I was young and people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would say, I want to be an opera singer. And I wanted to be an opera singer because everyone kept telling me I was too loud. I was a chubby kid who had the curves and I was told all the time that I was loud. And so I looked out into the world and I thought, where can you be loud and chubby, but you're celebrated? And I thought, that's opera, that's opera singers. So I decided I wanted to be an opera singer. I held on to that for years. So did you play in any operas? Did you get anywhere with it? Did you just do lessons? No, see, this is the irony, Nick. I can't sing. <laughs> you just looked the part? I really can't sing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, like I was three, four, five at the time. And it was like, that that's what I could see in the world that could be celebrated if you had curves and you were loud. Isn't that interesting how you catch on to that stuff where you're like, well, I don't know exactly what to do, but I've seen these things that maybe this fits. Uh, I think that's a start to where a lot of kids start to kind of figure out the thing that they like or they don't like or where some of them kind of get stuck, where their parents are like, man, I did this thing. You should do it, too. Like I played baseball, so you should play baseball as well. Do you feel like you were kind of um, moved into that direction at all? Or did you have a family that was like, yeah, whatever, you're just allowed? We were we were allowed to a point. So my my father, Colin Joseph, He's been passed for many years now, but he was a man who loved to learn. He had seven degrees, two of them doctorates. When he got his first doctorate in, in Australia, he was the youngest person to get a doctorate in Australia at the time. And so he had seven children, uh, sorry, he had seven degrees and my mother raised seven children. <clears throat> and so we could be whatever we wanted to be as long as we were going to go to university. Like education was big in my family. It was, you know, something that we didn't seem to have much of a choice about. It was something that we were going to commit to because that was a part of the culture of my family was learning, learning, learning. And you could be whatever you wanted to be as long as that was attached to a university degree. Interesting. So there was, uh, I, I mean, how do you get away from that? You can't be like, no, dad, I'm not going to go. I know you've gone for years and years and you have seven degrees, 
But did you end up going to university or what did that look like? I did. I did. And what I chose to do at university, I think, gave my father some some worry, <laughs> some moments of like, why is she choosing that? I was, I am a very like academically smart person. So all of my teachers wanted me to do all of the chemistry and the high levels of maths. And I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in humanities and history and the arts. And so the university degree that I went to was to study theater. And, you know, my dad just kind of swallowed and said, well, it's a degree. And he really wished that I went into science or, you know, some other kind of, you know, more kind of straight laced university, um, you know, degree pathway. And, but I had the experience of growing up that I was told often, you are smart, you are smart, you are smart. And there's a, there's a beauty in that, in having that recognized in me. But what I also had an experience of when I was growing up and I was like, yeah, but I'm also talented and I'm also intuitive and I'm also fun. Like, can I be those things as well? Which is why I think as a teenager, I, you know, did the classic teenage, well, you're going to tell me to go left, so I'm going to go skipping right. And you just watch me skip right. Mm-hmm. Because now you, you do about it. And that's what got me into theatre and other humanities and, you know, exploring different things like spirituality and things that weren't biology and, you know, maths level three. So let's take a little bit of a jump. How did you go from all of that to what you're doing today? Well, what I'm doing today, the magic weaver part has always been a part of me. But the grief guide part is something that I believe came to find me in that I never put on a vision board or had a conversation with somebody in my life thinking, oh, I think I'm going to be a grief guide. I think that'd be a great job. It wasn't something that I aspired to doing. But my experience of life is that I've had some a series of deaths that have been very close to me and have shaped my heart and shaped my spiritual practice and space shaped who I am as a human and I got to a point in my own journey where I realized I have learned a lot and I could be at service to others who haven't been on this journey that I've been on who need help in navigating the grief journey and so I, I stepped up to the plate and um and I'm telling you, I was the, the opera singer in me was shocked that I was now a grief guide, as well as being somebody who talks about ma magic and spiritual practice. And, and I have found great beauty in being a grief guide and supporting people and great delight in being a magic weaver. And the work that I do, I do see how they weave together. Hmm. So talk to us a bit more about the magic weaver and what that actually entails. Um, and let's tie that into mindset and how that actually matters for, uh, for what you're doing. Yeah, so for me, I, I began to work with this, you know, like phrasing around calling myself a magic weaver because I found it to be inclusive of all the ways that I turn up in my magic. And also to be blunt about it, anytime I introduce myself as a witch, people, had questions about that and I found that I was explaining myself as a witch and why I said I'm a witch more than actually talking about the magic 
And so I just went, well, it's just actually a title. I can let go of needing to introduce myself as a witch and just actually say, I work in magic. I help weave magic. And I, I ended up with magic and weave because magic, I believe, is also inclusive. Like people can decide for themselves what their magic is. So for some people, you know, their magic is actually connecting to nature. For some people, their magic is connecting to angels. For some people, their magic is actually around prayer and their connection to a higher source that they may call God or any other name. And so I, you know, I believe that we all have magic and you get to decide what your magic is. But to me, magic is the piece of source energy, the piece of universe that is us. Like we, I believe we're all spiritual beings having an earthbound experience. And that spiritual part of us is a part of the universe. It's a part of source energy and it's our magic. And we get to use it in whatever way that we want. We get to weave it in whatever way that we want. And, and a huge part of that is how we work with our mind. Like the mindset that we have, like one of my favorite quotes from Einstein, like I have a little crush on Einstein and um, Einstein says one of the most important questions that humans need to ask themselves is do they live in a hostile or friendly environment and I believe that's that comes back to mindset like how are you going to frame your experience how are you going to frame um, the experience or the people or the situation that you're having and is is it friendly or hostile you know is the situation happening to you or for you is it something that's going to destroy you or is it something that's going to shape you like that's their choices and as humans we get to we get to decide our free will is strong our minds are strong and we get to decide and so for me a huge part of the work i do in magic is helping people with shifting their mindset and then beyond shifting the mindset shifting the actions or behaviors or patterns or beliefs that they have connected to the neuro pathways of, you know, all of the amazing and also all of the not so amazing, sometimes destructive thoughts that humans and have in our amazing brains. Yeah. I had a conversation with somebody recently. Uh, I think it might've been an episode. It may have been a client, but we were talking about that negative self-talk and the conversations that you have with your own self. And you're like, if you really think about it, like if that was a person that was outside of you, you would have kicked their ass. You would have gotten restraining orders. You would have done whatever you could because of the shit that that brain talks to you at times. And I find it interesting how you, you kind of use that along with the magic and the magic of what is your what are your talents? What are the things that are inside that can help kind of bring things out of you? And I think there are a lot of people that, don't really understand the amount of power that they have inside of themselves and the superpower that's within their skull that allows them to do these things. So how do you help your clients actually get to that precipice of understanding that, all right, maybe I've got more power inside and then step through that? Mm. Oh, that's such a delicious question. Yeah, so one of the things that I do in my community and I repeat it often, is I say, you are the magic. That the magic is not outside you. You're not working with me because I'm magical and I'm gonna heal you 
or I'm going to help you or I'm going to take all the pain away. That's not how this works. I'm a magical guide or your grief guide. And whether it's grief or another aspect of human experience that we're working through, it's an experience that you have choices along the whole way. And one of the first choices you have is, am I going to anchor into my magic? Like, am I actually going to believe for a moment that I am magical and that I have some choice? So I'm reminding people all the time, you are the magic, anchor into your magic. It's choose your own adventure in this life. You get to choose because I loved those books as a kid, the choose your own adventure books. And then the other thing that I teach is, is around your words are your wand. So if we're working in, in the idea of magic and, you know, working with all the metaphors that, you know, magic brings, one is the magic wand. And I believe our strongest, most amazing magical wand that we all have is our words. Even people who are nonverbal, they may have, they have language in different ways that they bring it across. Um, so I say to people, your words are your wand. So if you're saying to me, I'm tired all the time, I'm saying, okay, well, on the end of your wand there is you're tired all the time. You're affirming that, you're affirming that, you're affirming that. So what do you actually want? It's like, I, I want to rebuild my energy. Ah, use your wand for that. Every day in every way, I will rebuild my energy. You know, and just like reframing the, the words that people are saying and telling them, you're going to have to repeat that because our minds are strong and the neuropathways get established quickly and then they become highways and there's semi-trailers going down the highways and, you know, where you want to go is, you know, the little forest path off to the side off the highway and it's hard to find sometimes. And so needing to be, yeah, if you've been driving the highway and, you know, there's so much around our words and our minds that we say to ourselves or we say out loud or we allow others to say to us that we, we don't even realise are on repeat until someone is reflecting it back to you. Because the other thing about our mind is like we see our mind as in you know, our, our little brain, which is our mental body, our brain, which is where a lot of the process is, is happening. But when you're working in magic, you're working with the whole person, which means you're working with their whole auric field, their whole spirit. And the fourth layer of your auric field is our mental body. And in your mental body is where all those beliefs and the things you were told as a kid, like for me, in my mental body is you're too loud. You know, so I get a choice around my magic. Do I want to keep that in my mental body or do I want to work through clearing that and letting that mindset go and just like finding the joy in, yeah, I'm loud, which means I can walk into a room and facilitate 100 people and everybody can hear me. Look how magical I am, you know, rather than I'm too loud, I should be quiet or checking myself all the time around am I too loud you know so so much of it is like changing your words words as you want but then also clearing the thoughts that aren't working for you and some of them were we didn't even come up with them some of them other people gave to us and then it just stuck and created a highway and created some energy in our mental body and then suddenly that's who we believe we are it's not true we're magical so how do you also help um find that 
that magic and use the talents that's inside of them and kind of have that balance between owning it, just not being fucking cocky about it and not being significance driven. So how do you help them with that balance? Yeah, it's like you, you know, you go back into check. Like if you are actually anchored into your magic, you are working in the highest good. So I say in the magical playground, there are no winners or losers. Like there's no finish line, there's no gold star, there's no like I'm going to be better than the other person. And we all have a place to play in the playground. And also as soon as you step into that playground, why are you there? Are you there to be a hostile player or a friendly player? You know, and it's like own your own magic. Anchor into your own magic. It's your process. And if you if your shadow or your ego comes to play, we'll just say, well, hello, you're on the playground. I see you. Let's dribble the ball for a while and see what you got to say. You know, like I don't I don't invite people to deny or push away any part of their experience. But I do advise people, be careful. You don't want to get stuck playing in the corner with the shadow because that's actually not very fun when you could be playing with possibility over by the hoops. Uh, that's still doing the deep work, though. You know, it's almost like that difference between being in the movie and just watching the movie and processing from that. So without giving some of the secret sauce, uh, what sort of advice would you give for some of the people that are listening to be able to work with some of that and to be able to step into their playground, but also be mindful of the, the shadow and the potential that's there. Yeah, I always like advise people, yes, anchor into your own magic, which means I, I share your breath is your spirit. So as soon as we breathe in, you're anchoring in your spirit. So you can do that in every beat to be in the present moment, to anchor into your own and then follow, follow what you feel. Like if you're in the playground and something doesn't feel right, stop, breathe, check it. You know, like we know when we're moving towards judgment. We know when ego is running the show and we're just like running behind. We know if we stop, breathe and check in. So it's like, you know, just like you don't need somebody else to be your safety monitor on the magical playground. You know. If you're going to be honest with yourself and stop, pause, breathe, check in for a minute, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be pleasant. Some of the, the activities in the magical playground can actually be difficult, challenging, exquisitely painful, but they're all part of our human experience. They're all part of us expanding our magic and we don't want to deny those parts either. We just want to make sure that while we're working with and working through it, we feel supported we feel anchored into our own magic and we know the purpose of why we're doing this. Or if it feels like something outside you that is happening that you didn't ask for, just kind of tune into, well, what is here for me to learn or what is here for me to expand in myself? But, you know, I believe that we all know. I believe we are all our greatest healer and teacher and, and we have it all within us. So I give permission to follow your lead, choose your own adventure and be patient with yourself. Because if you haven't done that for years and years and years, if life told you that you weren't allowed to do that and you had to follow the parent or the teacher or the boss or society or, you know, whatever it else may be, it's going to take a while to get jiggy with. I can anchor into my own magic and I can know 
this feels good, this doesn't feel good. This is learning and it still doesn't feel good, but I'm going to stay with the learning. You know, like you can tune in, you can figure it out for yourself and then everything expands. Yeah, that's when life actually begins at that point. <clears throat> There's a lot of uh, a lot of hesitance around most things that have to do with doing deep work for people because of that fear of the unknown, fear of, you know, it just being bullshit or fear of them not actually having a problem and maybe experiencing something. So those people that are kind of going through that time where they're trying to figure out something doesn't feel right. How do you help people actually get to their intuition? Because I'm like you where I believe that we're all spiritual beings here and we all have that intuition. It just probably layered over for most people where they can't get to it because it's so calloused and they just can't hear it. So how do you help those people be able to get to the point where they can hear more of it? Even if it's like a faint voice that they go, I think it's over there somewhere. Yeah. I'm telling you, you're picking up what I'm putting down. You're playing in my playground right now, Nick, because for the month of June, this is what I'm teaching in my membership. And also, I also, on the Big Life Magic YouTube, I do every Wednesday, I do Witch Wednesday, where I share something about spiritual practice or magic weaving. And for the whole month of June, I'm sharing about intuition and how we can tune into it. So to answer your question, um, what I first invite people to do is to affirm I am intuitive. Sure, the volume may be turned right down, but you have it. So the first thing you need to know is like claim that you have it. It's the voice of our spirit. So first thing to know is I am intuitive because I work with, you know, some people who come to work with me and they believe that Deborah is intuitive, but I'm not. And so that's, I begin now. I'm just like, okay, well, let's anchor into your magic because I'm your magical playmate and your guide, but this is your magical adventure. So the first thing I advise people is affirm that you have it and then actually begin to work on the relationship because it's a relationship. It's a dialogue. It's communication. You can't demand that your intuition turns up and sends you a sign and gives you insight if you haven't turned up to the relationship for 10 years. Right. You can't do that. You wouldn't you wouldn't do that to, you know, like someone you knew in high school who you never spoke to and then just pick them up on the phone and just say, hey, buddy, I need to borrow your car. It's like you wouldn't do it. Right. The same with the intuition, like you begin building the relationship and there's different ways you can do that. Like you can just start to affirm that you have it. You can start to do breathing and meditation. You can and you can just start to play. You can start to be curious about how does my intuition come through. But I often invite people more and more and more towards play and exploration because I think there is unfortunately adults believe that when I grow up, I need to be serious. And that is wrong. Like our brains love play. If we want to learn something, play. If you want to learn something, dance it out. Your muscle memory is going to learn it much quicker. You know, so I'm moving people towards play, 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 play. And when people work with me, I do incremental little magic activations for them. So it's almost like they can, you know, step onto the playground, step onto the playground, then step onto the playground, now pick up the ball on the playground, now invite somebody else to play with the ball with them. Like... You know, you can't expect somebody to just go from 
I haven't been tuned in, into my magic for 20 years to suddenly shoot hoops. You know, it's like you help people along with, and a lot of it is about affirming for people. You have it. Everyone has it. So what do you want to do with it? Now, I can see how it transfers over from what you do in that realm and working with people in that sort of way, how that transfers over to the grief, because there are problems that people just push away and they go, I can't handle it anymore. Like trauma, childhood trauma. Some people don't remember that they had some crazy traumatic thing that happened because their brain was like, well, this shit's pretty rough. You're not able to handle this right now. And they just push it away. So yeah. And I can see where that kind of that bridge goes from, okay, now you have an understanding and you're tapping into your intuition and there's shit that's back there or something crazy that just happened. So can you give us a little bit of details as much as you'd like to give on what actually happened for you to get you to that point where you said, well, now I'm going to go through grief myself and help others do the same. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the, the journey of grief for me is three times over. So the first, first knock of death was the very first man I'd ever fallen in love with, Nick, and he chose to take his own life. And I was 20. And then seven months later, I'm 21, and my father, Colin Joseph, the amazing academic with seven degrees, um, died of an unexpected heart attack. So I turned from 20 to 21, the very first man I loved and also the very first man I loved, like the first fall in love and my father, the very first man you ever love, both gone within seven months. And all of my friendship circle was grieving, all of my family was grieving and the truth be told, no one knew what to do. We didn't know, we had no way, no guidebook, like how do you do grief? And so, you know, it's 21. So I drank a lot of beer and I smoked some joints. And I believed in about a year, I'll be good. You know, maybe I'm just, I'll cry a bit, write my journal, you know, and I thought I was really processing grief. And, you know, truth be told again, we were all doing the best that we could at the time with what we knew and what we were managing. But, you know, a couple of years later, I couldn't get out of the shower. When I was crying, I just couldn't get out of the shower. I just, everything was falling down. And by the time I went to reach for help, the psychologist said to me, oh, you're processing undigested grief. And I was like, what? No, that's a couple of years ago. And that was when I kind of realized, oh, grief is patient. Grief is gonna wait for you because grief is offering you opportunities for your heart and your soul to learn. And I'd missed class. I, just, I was stoned or drunk. I didn't turn up to class. So when I started to work through that later in my 20s, I promised myself if death and grief ever came knocking again, I would not deny it. I would turn up to class. I would be with it. Little did I know that that promise was going to have to be cashed in. For nine years ago, my son, Sage Joseph, um, one month before his 11th birthday, unexpectedly died. So I went from being a single mother to an almost 11-year-old amazing boy to one morning going to wake him and he had already passed away in the night. And I had no idea, completely unexpected. He wasn't ill. You know, I found out 18 months later it was a rare condition of his heart that 
um, took his life and spun him back up to spirit. But there I am again, you know, at this place. And it was three days later and I, I'm sitting on my kitchen floor crying. There's people milling and seething all around my house and my garden in Australia, like the Australian version of sitting shiver. And I was like, I don't know if like, how am I going to, what I don't, you know, like just like lost in it all. It felt so heavy. And then I remembered, I was like, hold on a minute, I made a promise. And in my repair from my mid-twenties up until this point, I had begun to really study spiritual practice and healing modalities. And I had been working in that. I'd been teaching that. And I was in clinical practice. And I knew so much more. And so my curiosity got me off the kitchen floor because I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow through on this promise. I'm going to turn up to this grief and I am going to find out what is possible. Can I survive? If I turn all the magic and the spiritual practice that I teach and work with other people, if I turn that onto myself, can I survive this? And the deeper question, is there a life beyond this? And you know, the answer is yes, which is why my business is called Big Life Magic. Because it was, you know, my big life loss was my pathway to discovering my big life magic. And, and I believe we can all do that. And it's not easy. It's a tricky pathway. But there's gifts along the way. Isn't it a wild thought to think so much has happened after such a traumatic experience that if that didn't happen, you would potentially still have your son but you wouldn't have anything else and everybody that you've helped would not have been helped. Yeah, I've had that framing, like that started to work, like, you know, not immediately, definitely not immediately. But, you know, as I started to like write my book, as I started to speak more of the stories of the things that I was learning and sharing, as I started to do this work as a grief guide, it's, it just kept getting reflected back to me. I was like, oh, this was, you know, <clears throat> I had a guide, like a spirit guide, come to meet me in my sleep a couple of nights before my son died. I had no idea that my son was going to die. And the spirit guide came. He was like Middle Eastern descent, very tall, amazing elaborate hat, which made him seem like he had this great authority. And he sat on the side of the bed and he said to me very clearly, he said, I need you to listen. For every night that I have come to speak to you, you have chosen to forget when you wake up. But this is the last time that I can come. Please remember, the research is important. And I woke up from that and I was like, well, that's vivid. And I don't normally have really vivid dreams. Like, So when, when I do get a really vivid dream, I really notice it. And I was like, I have no idea what that guy was talking about, but he was wearing a fabulous hat. And I guess that means something. And I didn't even, again, I didn't click straight away. But after a while, when I began to process it and then share more of it, what I realized what he was talking about is my life is the research. Like I have survived Nick's death, my father's death and my son's death, the lover, the father and the son. I've survived both of those, all three of those deaths and had the experience of it because my life is the research which I now gift to others so that they can have an experience that is enriching and healing and expansive.
I appreciate that you actually look at it that way. You know, obviously, and I say it's obvious because there are people that could choose a negative way to look at that, where they could think that, like you'd mentioned earlier, that do things happen to or for me, that it happened to you. The fact that you spun that and said it's happening for me and for others simultaneously, that in and of itself, that level of awareness kind of just jumps over a lot of fucking people's heads. Um, but you had made that kind of promise earlier in life. So did you feel like, and forgive me if this sounds like, if this is an asshole question, but did you feel like you called that in? Yeah, I think, well, I believe we design our lives. You know, I do. And, and I, you know, I, was I pissed at myself for designing this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, God, Jeff, why'd you decide this? You know, but I also knew it was a reason and I knew it was a reason for my son to leave at the time that he did and for me to stay. It's just like it took a really long time for the acceptance and to the, to the being with that. But I absolutely believe that we make choices from spirit around our soul, therefore human blueprint. And within that, we have choice. Again, we have willpower and we have choice as humans. So yes, I wrote in my blueprint that I would be a single parent to Sage Joseph Driscoll and that one month before his 11th birthday, he would pass away. It was in Sage's blueprint also, sole contract between the two of us after he dies, I have a choice. I can choose to move towards the lesson and the evolution of that, or I can choose to wear the badge of look at me, poor me, I lost my son, I'm the grieving mother now for the rest of eternity. You know, everyone has a choice and there's more than two choices, you know. Um, and it comes in little shifts, like the choice gets, sure, I had a I had a choice of like, okay, I'm going to be curious about this, which got me off the kitchen floor three days after Sage's death. But there's another moment that I want to share with you, which I think was the really big mindset shift. My son had been buried, so it took a, took a couple of weeks for them to do tests on his brain and his body to figure out why he had died. It was a mystery. So it was like three weeks later before I could bury him. And then after the, after the day after the burial, myself and his godmother, my best friend, Julie, we planted a flower garden. So we put our hands in earth and we planted flowers. So we had something to do because it's a surreal day, the day after you've buried your son. It's a really surreal day. You're like, what do I do today? <laughs> so we planted this, this flower garden, which was Julie's suggestion because she's an amazing human who knew exactly how to support me and also support her because her heart was breaking too. It was her godson. So we planted this flower garden. And then again, a couple of weeks pass and I'm alone. Everyone's left now. There's no more people coming to visit the house. The flowers have stopped turning up. It's just that weird kind of floating energy of, I don't know what to do with my grief. I'm just kind of in pain all the time. And I was out in the garden and I'm looking at the flowers and I can see the flowers that we've planted are starting to bloom and take shape. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking over and over and over, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you. Like my body was missing my son. I wanted him to be running down the back stairs. I wanted to be able to hug him. Like 
My body was aching, my heart was broken, and my mind was on repeat, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you. And there was something about being with this and having this meditative space of just looking at these flowers that were actually changing and taking shape and coming to life in colour. was something about that that dropped in for me. I was like, well, I miss him so much because I love him. So then I went, okay, I could change that. Instead of saying, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you on repeat, I could say, I love you. So then for over the next few weeks, every time I'd get this burst of like, oh God, I miss you, I miss you, I would stop, pause, breathe, and then say, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. And it was a huge shift because like missing you, the shoulders roll in, the heart caves in, everything is dark. And then when you expand to I love you, everything opens up again. And I really believe that's when I started to work on the mindset. Like there's work in spirit, there's work on mind, there's work on heart, there's work on body. Like grief is a whole body, whole everything experience. But that's the day when I thought, now I'm starting to work with my mind. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I, I want to point out a bit of a pattern that you'd mentioned before that seems like it showed up in that way where you had said before about play and having fun and just starting to move on things and continue to move and explore and make little changes and little adaptations, et cetera. And it sounds like that's sort of similar, if not 100% similar, like that, what that path was like for you then to go, oh, wait a minute, here's something I see because I was out playing where if you hadn't been out playing, you wouldn't have seen it. Yeah, exactly. And just staying open to the possibilities, which is not always easy when life is giving you a tricky chapter or things feel dark. Like the other thing I do when I'm working with people is I'm like, you've got to be honest about how you are now. Like if you're like, I had a chapter where I was literally pissed at angels. I was red, hot, angry, you know, and my mantra then was, why did you take my baby away? And, and I, like, I had a long conversation that lasted days and weeks and I didn't want to let go of it. I was pissed, Nick. I was like, come on, angels, you've got to tell me because I'm really pissed at you right now. I've been praying to you for years and now you really piss me off, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it just, it, you know, and I had to be honest about the fact that in those weeks, my truth was I'm not feeling really magical right now and angels can just get out of my space. You know, until they can turn up with a good answer, <laughs> I'm pissed at them. You know, and so you can't then be in that space and just go, well, like, just be in love and light. It's like, that wasn't love and light for me then. That was me being honest about the fact that I'm trying to channel and understand my anger. And it needed to be directed at someone. And I didn't want to direct it at anybody who was earthbound with me. So the angels copped it. And... I figured it out. I worked through the anger. So it's not living in my body anymore. And the angels and I, we're good now. Did they give you an answer? Yeah. They said to me, you planned it. We didn't take him away. You planned it. <laughs> and I said, I know that answer. I was like, I already know that answer. Come back and give me another one. I don't like that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
the thing that they actually said to me was this this was their this was their line nothing went wrong that day nothing went wrong that day yeah when i received that i was like mm, kind of can't ignore that one yeah noted who isn't that uh i, I want to touch on that because that is so succinct and there's no fluff to it there are no likes and ums and uhs or bullshit like that and isn't it funny and interesting how spirits angels anything of the spiritual realm our intuition is always succinct and just this thing this is it instead of like well you know like you're never gonna hear your intuition be like well you know maybe we could do this thing but you know this could get a little weird or awkward that's all bullshit in your fucking head so I, I, I think that's a thing, and I'd love for you to be able to give some sort of advice for the people that are listening to be able to listen for those things that are so succinct that they're not your brain that's actually intuition. So like we'd mentioned earlier with like maybe it's so far back and you can barely hear it. How do you hear that or catch those succinct things so that they do become louder? Yeah. Again, great question. I could go off into so many corners of the playground with this. The thing I like to, sh to start with <clears throat> when talking about intuition and starting to listen and receive and, and be with this communication is understand this, your intuition cannot lie to you. It is impossible. Your spiritual self will never lie to you. It'll never tell you something that is not in your highest good. And it will always come through in a vibration that feels either calm or loving or supportive like you know when we go in when i i'll claim it when i go into overthinking or worry or doubt i know the thoughts i'm having in my head are like ding, 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 ding. like the vibration is like ding, 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 and they, they speed up and i can feel it i can feel that it's my brain going tick 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 you know and the pathways you know every semi-trailer is on the highways you know when i receive from my intuition or from an angel or a guide it feels different in the arriving and sometimes it will repeat if we haven't quite picked up what they're putting down so sometimes you will get an intuitive message that will repeat but also the universe can find really interesting ways to bring it to you so you might turn on the radio and there's a particular lyric playing which reminds you of what your mum said to you yesterday that you didn't want to hear and then you know you go to the bookstore and there's a book you know what I mean all of that is also that's your intuition as well that's your magic guiding you to those things and our intuition either comes through inner knowing which is clear cognizance clear sentience which is our clear feeling clairvoyance which is our clear seeing or clairaudient, which is the listening. So the other thing you can do is just try to figure out, like, how do I sense my intuition? Do I see symbols? Do I have vivid dreams? Like me, not so much. I'm not so much clairvoyant. I mean, I am. I believe we're all, all of them. But I'm claircognizant is my dominant. So I receive a full thought that drops in my mind. Like when the angel said to me, nothing went wrong that day. It was a full thought dropped in my mind and it was a knowing. And that's, you know, and, and that's also like how I've learned to trust that voice. Not everyone's going to get that. Some people are going to get strong feelings in their body. Some people are going to hear particular sounds. 
Sure. It's almost like how people learn. You know, some people are audio learners. They need to hear it. Some people need to see it. Some people need to get in there and feel things. And there's that spiritual side to that as well, that you ingest information certain ways that if you're looking at it the wrong way and go, well, I'm trying to see these symbols, but you really hear things and you're not paying attention. Exactly. Yeah. And then you, then you conclude, well, I'm not magical. I'm not intuitive. That's for other people. And it's like, nah, you just need to, to you just need to turn around in the playground. You're playing with the balls, but you need to be over on the swings. Oh man, that's a, that's a great way to look at it. Like when you go to look in a spice rack and I think of like somebody being in the other room, like, Hey, can you grab the salt and pepper? And they're looking, they're like, I don't, I don't see it. It's not even in here. And then the person walks by and just sticks their hand in front and grabs it. It's because they had decided they're not going to be able to see it and they don't want to see it. And they're looking past it all sight and the awareness, right? Uh, it's that deep level to it. Yeah. That's why I say, start with relationship. It's like, what is your relationship? If your relationship to your intuition is, well, this is hard. Well, yeah, it's going to be hard. You know, it's just like, are you playful? Are you open? Are you willing? Because your intuition is angels, guides, the whole universe. They're playful. They're willing. It's like, what part are you going to play? Hostile or friendly? Or a hermit where they're like, I don't want any bits of it. Let's <laughs> run away. Uh, well, Deborah, it's been so awesome to have you on the show. I really have appreciated this conversation. Uh, before we wrap things up, what's one piece of advice you'd give somebody that's listening that's on their path towards self-mastery? Stop, pause, breathe, and consciously choose. And always, I have to say, anchor into your magic. Believe you're magical. You know, like just claim it. I am magical and your magic can turn up in any way that you want it to. Um, but in terms of mind mastery, it's about choice. Yeah. Choose to live in the friendly environment. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Deborah. Hey, where, where can people uh, find you and where can they connect with you? Yeah. So big life magic, big life magic is teaching and sharing meditations and all things magic on YouTube. So there's Big Life Magic YouTube where you can catch me Wednesdays, Fridays and Sundays. And I also have a magic membership if people are magic curious and want to be hanging out with other magic members. So that's the Big Life Magic membership. Or easy option, biglifemagic.com is another way. And if you want to go there, there's a free meditation called The Smiling Heart that you can download, which is going to open your heart in less than 10 minutes. It's awesome. So everybody go, go download it, do a 10 minute meditation before you go to sleep and you'll be great. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So again, Deborah, thank you so much. Nick, thank you so much. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. So what did you think of the show today? love to hear your thoughts and check out the Instagram or Facebook page to join the conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. It helps us be found and helps others be healed. If this episode opened your eyes, made you think, or smile at all, then I'm sure it'll do the same for your friends. And check out the show notes for more info from today's episode and check out other episodes 
on themindsetandselfmasteryshow.com, as well as our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and look up The Mindset and Self Mastery Show. Thanks again to our incredible guests for being real, honest, and vulnerable with us today. And most importantly, I'd like to thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Your support means the world to us. And with that, remember, your mindset matters, and so do you. 